I'm David Scarlettescu. And I'm Mitchell Vallenberg. And welcome to Back to the Scene. A home for movie lovers that want to stay up to date on all things entertainment. If you're a super fan or a casual fan, we got you covered. We cover TV, movies, and all things relevant to movie pop culture. So sit back, grab some popcorn, because we're about to get back to the scene. Hey everyone, and welcome to the very first episode of Back to the Scene. Today, we're going to be ta- talking about our top five movies of all time. Pretty exciting. Um, also super controversial and very, very personal to each individual person. So a little bit of a backstory. Mitchell and I have been friends for quite a few years. We love, love to shoot the shit about all things movies and just all that nerdy super fan stuff. Uh, I identify more as a casual fan. Uh, Mitchell kind of keeps me up to date with the newest, newest information, but he is what you would call a super fan, I would say. I guess so. Like, uh, it's n- not a single day goes by where I don't hop on the internet. I'm, I'm on like Deadline, Hollywood Reporter, Variety, all of them, like keeping up to date on all movie news. And, and Mitchell is my source of <laughs> movie news. So anything that happens that's important, I know I'm going to hear it from him. But that's why it gives a pretty cool contrast because all the super fans are definitely going to relate to you. And hopefully the casual fans can relate to some of my takes as well. Uh, albeit some may be controversial. Controversial? What films are on your list? (laughs) (laughs) Um, Also, which we'll get into as we do more podcast episodes, I have not seen a lot of movies. If you can tell by my last name, I am not originally from here. I grew up with Romanian parents, and I did not see a lot of the big blockbuster, early 90s, mid 90s, like early mid 2000s as well. I, I haven't seen a lot of them. One of them being uh, Jurassic Park. I have not seen a minute of any Jurassic oh Park movie goodness. ever. Um, <laughs> but we'll get into all the other ones as Mitchell talks about the movies uh, that he likes and everything. We will get to see if I've seen them or not and also kind of get into <laughs> maybe I should watch them and do some reviews. I just got dragged to uh, the original Christopher Reeves, Reeves Superman. You Terrible loved movie. it terrible movie by the way oh, um that was actually the very first superhero film i've ever seen believe it or not really yeah like i saw how old were you three three years old my mom showed it to me Jeez, i mean i, well, I, thought I, can't, was, really. I can't imagine the superman and batman because like i i saw spider-man when it came out in 2002 yeah but like because you're 25 so yeah yeah 90 97 born so yeah i guess when you were three 2000 maybe spider-man spider-man one came out in 2001 two two Okay, my bad. <laughs> um, and then, uh, yeah, I don't know. I, it's just, I guess watching it back after all the superhero movies that we've gotten lately from Marvel and DC and everything, it's just really, really hard to watch, especially the flying mechanics and everything. It's just like oh, slow and like drawn out with a hand up. I don't know. I mean, cool for its time, but definitely not a blockbuster hit currently. But without further ado, let's get straight into the list. Okay, so who wants to start with the top five list? Do you want me to? I'll go. I'm really excited. You go. You're, okay. You've been excited for this. Okay. Yeah. My number five, my top five list is, it stars Tobey Maguire about a nerdy high school kid that has a really difficult time asking out <laughs> girls, and it's 1998's Pleasantville. 
I thought, the I, way you started, I thought you were going to start with Spider-Man. I know, I decided to... Like, oh, you teased it. You okay. can see Tobey Maguire has a type that he plays, I guess. Okay. <laughs> so, what the movie's about is this high school kid named David, uh, played by Tobey Maguire. He is, like, an absolute nerd when it comes to this show called Pleasantville. It's kind of like a uh, parody of, like, 50 sitcoms. And, like, there's this huge trivia thing where if he watches the Pleasantville Marathon and enters the trivia, which he's a genius at, he'll... I forget what he wins, but he wins... a. Cash prize, I think it is. Anyway, him and his sister fight over the TV and the remote breaks during when the Pleasantville Marathon's supposed to start. And then, miraculously, a doorman comes up, or a t- TV technician gives him this magical remote and accidentally transports him and his sister into the TV show. And they're, like, living in this, like, 50s retro sitcom-y world, and then basically the two, like, cultures clash. And basically, they end up kind of destroying that, like, perfect 50s, what everyone thinks is kind of like the perfect society. But really what the film's about is, it's really, about the theme of it is that there's really no set perfect way. Everyone's different in their own way, and there's really no definitive way to live your life. And that's kind of what the character journey of Tobey Maguire's character, David, goes through. And they do a really nice job. Of like, because when they get transported in the show, everything's in black and white, like it's like a 50s style show. But as people and characters begin to change and evolve, things start to become colorized, and it's a really cool effect. So you're telling me they did WandaVision before WandaVision did WandaVision. Exactly. Interesting. And it's got a a great going Going deep right with number five, Mitchell. Tobey Maguire, Reese Witherspoon, Jeff Daniels, William H. Macy, Paul Paul Walker. Paul Walker. Yeah. Back when they're all teenagers or early 20s, whatever. He did a lot of those, like, teenage... Actually, my girlfriend... I can't remember the name. My girlfriend wanted to watch this... Uh, uh, this I, I'll use the term loosely, chick flick that had Paul Walker as a high school student. It was hilarious because all the high school students back then apparently were in their 30s. <laughs> Have you heard of Tammy and the T-Rex starring Paul Walker? No. You don't want to. Anyway, okay. <laughs> your turn. Okay. Uh, with my number five list, again, we're going to kick it off very controversial right from the start but again keep in mind what it means to me my number five is actually the big short so this movie if you don't know obviously stars some a bunch of big names ryan gosling uh steve carell um who else is in this one christian, uh, bale. christian bale as well yeah and brad pitt even makes an appearance basically i think it just does a phenomenal job of making something that was so complex and crazy at the time, but nobody understood, which was the global economic crisis of 2008 and, and why the recession happened due to the, the bank lending. And I think it just, it takes it and it adds a comedic spin on it, but also super, super educational. And you walk away from that movie actually knowing what happened. And I think the way that they piece that all together to still make it entertaining and, and follow the characters and, and comedic at times as well, whilst educating the world on what went down that was such a big global phenomenon. I just, I thought it was really, really well done and it's completely timeless. I've watched this movie probably like at least half a dozen times and every time I, I enjoy it just as much as the previous time. You know, knowing you as well as I do, that is totally a David movie. Yes. <laughs> it's definitely is. <laughs> well, and here's the thing. Yes, as you, as you mentioned, like I became obsessed with that crisis when I first found out about it and The Big Short is one of the ones that got me down the documentary and the learning rabbit hole of the global crisis of 2008. And yeah, like I said, really, really phenomenal. It was the first time I got a taste of, wow, you can use the power of fictionalizing something that actually occurred to a little bit just so that you can educate people more while still sharing the message that was actually true and the true events that actually happened. 
Very cool. Cool. Yes, my turn, top number four. four. Number four. Okay, I'm surprised this one's at number four at the list because I always feel like it's higher. But it is 1990, or sorry, sorry, wow, 1985's Back to the Future. Directed by Robert Zemeckis, written by Bob Gale and Robert Zemeckis. That is movies, an absolute classic. That's one of those, like, one of the most perfect films ever made in my mind. Like, where do I begin with this? It is, honestly, like, okay, let's start with the, the foreshadowing and, like, the setup and payoffs of this movie. So, like, in the first, like, 20 minutes, they establish so many tiny little things that you think are completely irrelevant. But when Marty gets transported back in time, there's so many of these tiny little payoffs and... From like the beginning, the setup, the, to the end, I, I'm just stuttering just because like I'm trying to think of like so many different things that are just popping in my head. For example, like the mall. It's called Two Pine Mall, where when Marty goes back in time, he actually knocks down one of the pine trees or whatever. And at the end of the movie, when he comes back to the mall, when he gets back to the future, it's called One Pine Mall because he actually ran over one of the trees. Just like little tiny things like that just really make a big difference. And also, what's really unique about it is like, for example, almost every film that's been ever been made, the protagonist has a journey they go on, right? And they have like an inner need and a flaw that they have to resolve. Whereas this one, Marty is a static protagonist. He does not change at all in the first film whatsoever. It's actually his dad is the one that changes because he goes back in time and meets his parents. And he does some, by accident, he accidentally causes it so his parents don't get, don't get together. And if he doesn't fix that, then he'll be raised from existence and be lost forever. So Wild. and we obviously <laughs> named our podcast back to the scene after the movie. The yeah. But yeah, it's like Marty is the, technically the role of the mentor. It's kind of almost kind of like doing Star Wars, but Obi-Wan is the main character. It just wouldn't work. Expect, I mean, if they did it today, they'll have to completely change the story. But it's just strange having the role as the mentor actually be the protagonist. But it works because he has all the stakes. If he does not get his father to correct his flaw and inner need, which is confidence, he will never be born. So it is a huge personal stake for him. Jeez. So, so you're saying I should watch this movie because I've never seen it. It is fantastic, David. It is. Oh God, it is. Back to the future. Add to the list of movies David it's needs like, to watch. How can you not like it? It's so good. Like also the acting's phenomenal. The comedy still hits. I like it. Yeah. If I was to like, if I was teaching a film class of like teaching lesson on setup and payoff, Back to the Future is number one. Oh, plus the third act for like tension is like perfect. Like when you think like, oh, it can't get any worse. They're screwed. They can't get out of it. It is like amp it up a couple more like notches and it keeps you on the edge of your seat. Every time I watch, even though I know what happens, I'm always kind of like, is he going to make it? It's so good. Okay. Okay. You've, you've got got me convinced. convinced. We're going to, we're going to do it. Um, so, not surprising at all. Number four for me, if you're, if you're watching and not listening, there's a big Spider-Man mask from the Sam Raimi Spider-Man on my desk. My number four is Spider-Man No Way Home. I cannot tell you the amount of pressure. If you're a sports fan as well, this, this was, this movie, was built up to the point of what they did with LeBron James, for example. Prodigy and so much pressure to actually deliver on that. That's what I saw for this movie. It was so, so much pressure when they announced and had rumors that Andrew Garfield and Tobey Maguire would be coming back. Like, how do you give a proper payoff? And I have to say, I I know this is controversial for some because some people did not like it, but 
it did all of that for me. It paid off all of your villains that you enjoyed watching growing up because the Raimi Spider-Mans were my absolute favorite. To see Green Goblin and Willem Dafoe come back in that character to the degree that he did was phenomenal. Dr. Octopus did not play as big of a part as maybe he did in Spider-Man 2, but still played a big enough role that you felt like it, it did justice to his character. And then to bring in two of your favorite childhood heroes in Andrew Garfield and Tobey Maguire, and then also have them play a small enough role where it doesn't take away from what Marvel and Disney are trying to do with Tom Holland's Spider-Man, but now also kind of incorporates having those characters back and bringing that in a solid. It just, in my opinion, it was almost flawless and perfect from start to finish. And it gave me all of the feelings from the old Spider-Mans and all of the payoffs down to Andrew Garfield catching MJ so that he so pays good. off Gwen to Tobey Maguire stopping Tom Holland from, or from basically killing the Green Goblin. It was just... It was perfect in all ways possible, in my opinion. And the, the subtle tones of humor whilst combining it with moments that left me in tears as well, and not just from tears of fandom, but tears of sadness from what I'm witnessing on screen. It was just, it was a roller coaster ride of emotion and a really big payoff in my eyes. I'm surprised that's your number four. Thought it'd be higher. <laughs> I just like, yeah, there's, there's a lot of good ones on here. There's a lot of good ones on here. Yeah. Yeah. Number three. 1984's Ghostbusters. Do you have anything from the, yes. the modern <laughs> millennia? <or laughs> Ghostbusters is an absolute classic. Directed by Ivan Reitman and, Reitman and written by Dan Aykroyd and Harold Ramis who play Ray and Egon in the movie. Another one I have not seen. Ghostbusters. Oh, the old ones or the new ones, so don't come at me. But yes. Oh, the new ones also is really great. But anyway, um, where to begin with the original Ghostbusters? It's like has probably one of the best like camaraderie and just interactions between the three main leads like that i can think of um plus it's just a fun and funny movie and again the comedy still really holds up like the interactions with the characters even like just witty one-liners that these bounce off of each other like for example oh we should split up yeah we could do more damage that way just stuff like that and like there's so many quotable lines from the movie like he's slimy Back off, man. I'm a scientist. So many different things. Oh, like, geez, Louise. It's also, like, the visual effects, we watched in the theater actually last year. They did, like, a release for it. And some of the visual effects don't hold up, unfortunately. But, I mean, that's just how it is. But, like, just the, the characters, the writing, the story is just so good. It's captivating. And it's, like, one of those films that just... I don't know. Can't die. You don't die. think they're going to like remaster it kind of the same way they did the, the no. first Star Wars? No. Okay. Not a chance. Okay. Yeah. No. Not a big enough franchise for that? No. I mean, I wouldn't say not a big enough franchise. That was George Lucas's decision. Okay. To do to, that. To keep, yeah. The original director just passed away like a couple months ago. So. He'll never be able to make that decision, is what no. you're saying. And I, I don't think that. I really don't think Rest they need to. Like, I mean, it's newer than Star Wars. So, I mean, the visual effects, I'd say, are. I, don't know, I haven't actually. I guess I did watch the original Star Wars on VHS in school one year. But anyway, you can know. go on. You can go on YouTube, and I've done it, that. Yeah. Where you just you go on YouTube and you just search like the original side by side with what they reshot. It's pretty cool to kind of look back and see. Like, have you seen Industrial Light and Magic? Like the whole like behind the scenes of how like it, I think it's called Light and Magic of how Industrial Light and Magic was created. No, it's so good. It's on Disney Plus. 
Okay. You should watch it. It's very good. Well, how they, how they made Star the original Star Wars. <laughs> it was honestly, I am shocked that that movie got made. Like just about all the troubles and tribulations trying to get that made. And look what it is now. So now we're talking about Star Wars. We're going to talk about Ghostbusters, but still anyway, Ghostbusters and Mario three. It's a fantastic film. It's hilarious. It's just iconic. And honestly, it's like one of those films that I saw when I was a little kid and it was just trans by watch it like almost every year. Yep. Okay. I will add that to the list as well. Moving to my number three. Um, I've got interstellar. I'm a big Nolan nut. Um, I absolutely love his work. He's one of my favorite directors by far, if not my favorite. And at the time of watching interstellar, I was very, very into space. And I think the way that they took you on this journey and adventure with that movie was insane from the visual effects to the score. The score was phenomenal, like the build-up scenes. And then just the way he added a twist at the end that you just would never have expected how it would end. And I thought it was really creative. I know a lot of people maybe were not so fond of the ending, but I thought it was very, very cool and creative and kind of tied every, everything together. Like you said in in uh, in Ghostbusters, how they were kind of like leaving little breadcrumbs and foreshadowing. Or not Ghostbusters, Back, to the, back to the Future. I fig- I I found they did that kind of same thing in Interstellar, and obviously Nolan loves to do that with a little breadcrumbs throughout the film that don't tie in until the very end. But yeah, just the down to the acting, Matthew McConaughey's acting is just phenomenal in this. The 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 iconic scene of him like trying to look through the bookcase is just bonkers. It's gone viral as a sound on TikTok and everything, but. Yeah, down to the down to the details, I think this movie was really, really well done. And at a time in my life where, like I said, I was just so obsessed with with space and quantum physics and quantum mechanics that I thought the thought process that went into all those details was really, really, really well done. So that is my number three, Interstellar. Yeah, when I saw Interstellar at the theater for the first time, I think we were watching me and my friends were doing a double feature. It was we watched Interstellar first, and then we we're gonna go see Big Hero Six. And I remember when after Interstellar was over and having to watch Big Hero Six, I wasn't even, like paying attention at all to the movie because I was still thinking about Interstellar. Yeah, yeah, and it's it's one of those movies, and that's what I love about Nolan is it's one of those movies where when you watch it for the first time, it's a wild experience. But then when you watch it again, knowing what's going to happen, you pick up all those little tidbits that you didn't the first time, mm. and it it all ties in together, and you you pick up more and more every time you watch it. So yeah, Interstellar, my number three. Yeah, number two. <clears throat> this is honestly, it was, I, I couldn't decide whether this or Ghostbusters was two and three, but it had to be this one. Written by David Cope and Michael Crichton, directed by Steven Spielberg. David, can you guess it? No, Jurassic Park. <laughs> oh my goodness. I didn't know Jurassic Park was directed by Steven Spielberg. That's like, on my mind, it's like his like, most famous thing he directed, except from Jaws. It didn't, it didn't, it didn't click. I, Jaws is one that came to mind immediately, but okay. Steven Spielberg, well, just a side thing on Steven Spielberg, he is like a chameleon with his films. He can do horror, he can do comedy, he can do dramas, he can do sci-fi. He does it all. He can do musicals. Last year he did um, West Side Story. Isn't Jurassic Park just like Jaws, but with dinosaurs, though? Mm. The genres are similar, right? I, yeah. Well, I would say Jurassic Park's a little more sci-fi because you have dinosaurs running around. But like, Fair and enough. there's more than one, <laughs> a lot more than one. Fair enough. But yeah. Oh God. Just the way this movie is put together in like the story structure and 
Alan Grant's journey um, when it comes to getting over his, it's actually really about a guy who hates children. <laughs> it's really what Jurassic Park's really about. And as he goes on this journey, he's stuck. He's trapped on an island with the thing he has the most. He actually loves dinosaurs. He's a paleontologist. Because originally, I guess you don't know what Jurassic Park's really about. It says from a theme park of dinosaurs. Yeah, I mean, you, you know about, you know about, like, Basically, that basic fact, right? Like yeah. Scientists have figured out how to recreate dinosaurs and they create a theme park and then probably one of them, like a T-Rex most likely because they're the biggest ones, goes loose and wreaks havoc on everybody, right? Yeah. So the whole purpose of Jurassic Park, the park's not even open at this the first movie at this point in time because at the very beginning of the movie, an accident happens, one of the workers is killed by a dinosaur. And the shareholders are like, okay, we need people to sign off on this park to ensure that it's safe. Um and all that for the public. So they want paleontologist Alan Grant to come visit this park before it opens and basically give his stamp of approval. And he goes down there. He's a paleontologist. He loves dinosaurs. But yeah, it sets up in the movie. He hates children. And he ends up being trapped in this park with dinosaurs escape, wreaking havoc. And he's stuck taking care after these two kids. So it's kind of this nice kind of like switch of like, by the end of the movie, he really ends up appreciating children, caring, for caring kids, and ends up hating dinosaurs, which is the thing that he loves. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, it's just a fantastic story of that. And like literally the special effects at that time, they still hold up. Like, I mean, like I do like visual effects and I can kind of tell like some like textures on some of the dinosaurs is a little outdated. Like new movies are obviously the new Jurassic Park movies have better special effects and all that. But like literally you can still watch it, it still holds up. It is fantastic. Like if you want to, if you're interested in dinosaurs, like Jurassic Park's the movie, the movie to watch okay. hands down. You have to watch it. We'll have to do. We'll have to do a. <laughs> you have to watch. It. <laughs> what we will do is we'll have a moment where I watch Jurassic Park, and then we'll have a like reaction podcast where we can talk about it and everything. I still and can't believe I'll give my honest it's so review. It's, it's never come up. It's never been one of those things where I'm like, oh, let's watch Jurassic Park. I think I've thought about it a few times, but then when they keep coming out with all the movies, it just gets. It just seems like there's so overwhelming. Many so there's so many, and I'm like, oh, I want to sit down and watch them all. But you know, maybe it is best to just do one at a time. We should also do a, uh, our top five like movie franchises mm. at one point too. That'd be really that'd be cool. almost the same list for me, <laughs> <laughs> except for number five, <laughs> like a series, this like a series of movies, like the the. the if oh, they've got two movies or three movies. Well, they, Ghostbusters has, and well, oh, yeah, have, I guess they do. All the same with and Back to the Dark Future has multiple, three, doesn't it? Yeah, but, and then Jurassic Park does. Yes, Pleasantville doesn't. But okay, moving on to my number two, I have Martin Scorsese's Shutter Island. Hmm. So I watched this for the first time. I want to say three years ago. And I've never had a movie like that apart from Nolan where you, you just have that feeling of the twist that is just outrageous at the very end. It just completely blows your mind. And also the element of which that movie goes kind of starts off kind of slow-ish but still intense where you can follow it. And then just all of a sudden near the end just ramps up. Another one that did that was Parasite. It was just like you're following, you're following, and then all of a sudden just bonkers just ramps up at the end. And I you feel watch like foreign films? <laughs> <laughs> I had to. It was an Oscar winner. So I was like, I'm going to watch this one. But yes, Shutter Island, Leonardo DiCaprio, un unbelievable performance. Just I, another moment where you honestly cannot believe that he didn't win an Oscar. And... 
just the way that he portrayed that character, a character playing a character. It was just unbelievable, unbelievable to, to the last moment. And then that just interesting twist at the end, and these are my favorite movies where they kind of leave it up to interpretation. Did he actually get cured at the end? Did it work? And did he just not want to remember what he did so he pretended to be the character again so that they would lobotomize him? And it's just, it's got that tiny little twist at the end where you're just like, what happened actually? And it leaves you to interpretation. And it's the kind of movie that you spend hours in Reddit forums after. And that is why I enjoyed it so much. It just, it, it was captivating from beginning to end. It had that little element of like scare and horror and worry, but you just, you did not know the truth about what was happening until the very end. And then, like I said, you leave it up to interpretation there. You go to the forums and you try and combine what you think with what other people think. And you come to uh, basically a final decision. Now, after your description of that, I think I figured out what your number one movie is. <laughs> um, I guess that now leads to our number ones, huh? Your number one. Number one. Mine's a bit of a cheat. <laughs> but it's the Spider-Man franchise. Because I cannot pick which Spider-Man movie I like the most. Because otherwise, this top five list would be like ranking top five Spider-Man movies, and that would not be that fun. Yeah. Well... Plus, that's also really hard to do because literally it seems like every last Spyro movie I watched, oh, that was my favorite one. They all have, but they all have elements that oh, just make so them good. make them good. There's there's not a single Spider-Man movie that I don't like. When I was growing up, Spider-Man Three was my favorite, and now I'm like. I'm hearing that people shat on it so much. I know. Honestly, like, Spider-Man 3 is, is still, like, it's a great story about, like, this identity crisis of, like, hearing what people think Spider-Man is. Like, oh, Spider-Man doesn't kill people. And just kind of getting Peter on this, like, right track of actually figuring out who he really is and, like, what, like, reaffirming what that responsibility means to him. And I really like that. Absolutely. And it kind of, like, it takes you on that roller coaster. And frankly... Unpopular opinion. I love Bully McGuire. Love Bully McGuire. <laughs> yeah. I can honestly say I went out with my mom at the after watching it, bought a black dress shirt just so I could be like Bully McGuire. Well, thing is with too pop collar, man. Like, like when you look at Tobey Maguire's version of Peter Parker, that's what he thinks is cool. Yes, Peter Parker's not a cool dude. <laughs> no, he's not. <laughs> so like that's his version of what he thinks the cool kid would wear, or I guess uh, like he'd be okay. Actually, this weird word side note is like the timeline of the original Sam Raimi Spider movies because okay, he's in high school at the beginning of the first movie slash college, so he's like seventeen, yep. eighteen, and then Spider Man Two takes place two years after, so then he'd be twenty, and then Spider Man Three they say Uncle Ben died a year and a half ago. What? <laughs> the logic makes no sense. So okay. apparently he's plot 20 hole. in the second one, third one, he's like eight or 19. <laughs> Minor plot hole that might have been overlooked. <laughs> Needless to say, until you just said that, I didn't even notice it. <laughs> uh, when I was rewatching them last year, I was like, what? There's no way I was like between like Spider-Man 1 and Spider-Man 3, that's a year and a half. No way. Yeah. But yes, to go back to it. I agree with you, and I will respect your cop-out of the Spider-Man franchise, because it is hard to pick a, a, a big one. That's why I picked No Way Home for mine, because it just, like I said, it ties all of the pieces in that you loved about it, down to, like, down to the minute details of the things that turned into memes, mm -hmm. like him saying, like, 
Willem Dafoe saying, I'm something of a scientist myself. So good. Like, just all of the little, de- and the banter, the banter not just in the lab, but then the banter on top of the Statue of Liberty. So good. Where they were, de- oh my goodness. Like, you know, one thing, the back and forth was They use fan servers so well in this movie. Yeah. But like, I remember I was watching something, a video on YouTube of some guy saying like, this thing was talking about just phase four of Marvel movies, how they're not as good. And he's like, well, the one except is No Way Home, but I don't count that because it's all fan service. I'm like, are you kidding me? Like, if it was just fan service, the movie would not work at all. You got to no. have a strong, solid story and character arc for Tom Holland's Peter Parker, and they do. And if that's not there, the movie would have fallen flat on its feet. A hundred percent. Like it would have made money, but it wouldn't have been as the cultural phenomenon that it was. No, like, I, look at the Rotten. Sorry, I keep cutting you off. No, go ahead. Look at the Rotten Tomato scores for audience and critics. It's like one of the highest. I got to double check, fact check this, but I think it's like one of the most like highest positive rating audience scores on Rotten Tomatoes history. I think it's like with over like two hundred thousand uh, registered. Uh, viewers or whatever something along those lines but it is it's one of the good top like highest reviewed uh audience scores and it has a really good critic score i think it's like in the 90s yeah but honestly you're right because think about all the movies that try to do fan service and they did not work but that's what i mean when i say that they had so much expectation for this movie so much expectation for this movie and look at star wars for example star wars is a perfect example of basically not be now star wars fans don't come at me but frankly you were just ridiculous it's just un impossible to please i could have done it 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 doesn't matter what you did with that movie somebody is going to be ticked off however no way home the amount of actual expectation that was on this movie versus what they delivered flawless oh yeah unreal absolutely we can talk about spider-man all day that could be a let's 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 go into your number one my number one. So we're going back to Christopher Nolan. I was 13 years old when I saw this. And I remember it is basically what made me fall in love with Christopher Nolan as a director, Leonardo DiCaprio as an actor, and just psychological thrillers in general. And now I love, love. Psychological thriller is probably besides spider-man and superheroes is my second favorite genre of movies and i cannot get enough so needless to say if you haven't figured it out already my number one is inception so i just i can't i can't even i don't even know where to begin the way that this movie started had you going what the fuck excuse my (laughs) excuse my language within the first five to ten minutes You were so confused. He washes up on the beach. There's this old Asian man. And then all of a sudden, the Asian man is young. And then they're in layers. They wake up from a dream. They wake up from another dream. You're just, you're so bamboozled within the first 10 to 15 minutes that you have no idea what's going on. And I'd never experienced that in my life, watching a movie where you're just so out of it. It felt like I was watching a movie in a different language. And then all of a sudden it just it starts to slowly piece together and tie in and tie in and tie in but the the action the the thought process for all this the fact that it was all fiction i hope at least i don't think there's inception mm-hmm. is a real thing but um i mean how would we know but um basically you feel pain <laughs> yes where's my totem um but yeah basically the way that it just leveled up leveled up leveled up and just paid off at the very end too and again another moment where you're like well, did it topple? Did it stay spinning? Is he still dreaming? Is he awake? I personally think it toppled. 
I personally think it just started to wobble at the very end and it was a payoff. But again, another tease and an example of what directors can do to make you, to basically mess with your mind and, and have you in, interpreted in so many different ways. That's when I discovered actually starting to go on like places like Reddit and blogs to find out more information because I wanted to know more. I wanted to know what other people were thinking about it and you get tied up in YouTube comments and everything. But yeah, that one from, and again, it, it goes back to the casting too of Christopher Nolan. He loves to work with people like Leonardo DiCaprio. Also Michael Caine appears in almost like every Nolan movie ever. Mm-hmm. Um, he, he ties in the, the characters that he knows, the actors that he knows can play the characters well. And I think the, like I said, the payoff, the set design, again, the score inception has one of the greatest scores of all time, in my opinion. Hans Zimmer. Hans Zimmer, of course. And, and the fact that Nolan loves to work with him so much, it, it shows and it, it makes such a huge difference. It was another movie. Again, another first for me was realizing how important the score is in a movie. It, the fact that if you had, Different music, I don't think it would have been as powerful as it was. You know, side note, speaking of music and movies, um, there is a concert, or not a concert, but I guess maybe a concert where you classify it, but like John Williams is kind of doing this like orchestra thing and Steven Spielberg came on stage and is like, I want to show you how powerful music is in movies. So they played the first 10 minutes of Indiana Jones' Last Crusade of just no music track, just the regular shot of sound effects and dialogue, whatever. And it was apparently terrible. Now let's do it with a John Williams score, and it completely changes how you experience and watch that scene. Perfect example. Perfect example. And that's that's exactly what Nolan is able to do that very, very few other directors can do and put together. Obviously, composers play a part in that as well, but it's the director's vision that comes to life in those moments and, and where to where to kind of piece it. But yeah, that concludes the top five. I should say, let's before we end, let's let's at least throw in some honorable mentions because I have eleven. Oh my! Um, <laughs> I won't definitely won't talk about them all to the same degree, but they no. have to be mentioned. Okay. So hit me with some honorable mentions. Me? Rachel. Okay. Yeah, you go uh, first. King Kong, Peter Jackson's King Kong, two thousand five. Okay. Love that movie. Solid. Some people think it's a little long, but I honestly, I, I, I watched I, it in theaters. It's, it's, it's three a, and a half hours. Long, yeah, around right? there. Yeah. Around there. Yeah. I guess probably some stuff could get cut out, but I love it so much. And like, usually I'm a person that like is I mean, an advocate for like cutting down movies should like be like no longer than two and a half hours. But like, that's like one of the one exceptions for me. Um, also like you probably haven't seen this one, but 2011's Fright Night, the remake with uh, Colin Farrell. No, oh, I love that movie. It's a great horror film. That's also like kind of a horror comedy. Okay. It is spectacular. Um, speaking of comedies, also like really like horrible bosses. Yeah. I love that movie. I like that honorable mention. I like not, that not, not something mention. you would think up would appear on like a top ten list or whatever, but no, it's definitely on there. For it me. was well done. It was I love well it. done. And the, you speaking know, of camaraderie between three leads, yes, it's there's they, the way they bounce off each other. And, is Jamie, and Jamie Fox is kind of oh, thrown yeah. in there. And the amount of times that my girlfriend jokes with me when we're like sipping the straw. No, when we're when we're making. When we're making something, like I'm making dinner or something, and she comes up to me and she's like, what's your estimated time of delivery, motherfucker? <laughs> like, that line just comes out all the time, and it is just unreal. And that's from that movie. But, yeah, well done. That's a good comedy. Hey, what about you now? That was just, that was it? Well, oh, Tron Legacy. I don't know, it's another one. Tron? I, really? I haven't love seen Tron. that one. Tron Legacy? No, I haven't oh. seen any of them. Yeah. Oh, it's if so good. Multiple. Like, I mean, if you look back, because like Tron Legacy was one of those first movies that tried to do like the de-aging on Jeff Bridges. Now it definitely did that. It does not hold up. 
But for me, because he plays like a character that's like a fic, not a fictional, but like a computer character, like the younger version of Jeff Bridges is like his um, software that he created or whatever, or avatar, I guess. It's kind of, if you have no idea what I'm talking about, but no, no idea. idea. But anyway, because he plays a computer character, the CGI kind of works for me because he's supposed to be a computer character. Okay. character that's Basically, I'm trying to think of it like, have you ever watched Mega Man as a kid? No. It's Where they have the like no no that would be the um the 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 cartoon with the giant was that one called the Iron Giant yeah no one? not at all okay, I was just thinking no. of like a, a an AI person in the computer is what I'm getting at okay so like he plays an AI computer generated person that Jeff Bridges create and just looks like him so like when you because it's a CGI character it's an AI person the CGI kind of like works for me <laughs> when I look at that respect but anyway the speaking of the score Daft Punk score for Trunk. They did a score. Interesting. It is so good. Techno, like, like EDM. Well, actually, it's like one of Joe Klinsky. He, the director of Top Gun Maverick. Tron Legacy, I think, was, was his, one of his first directorial debuts. Top Gun Maverick, honorable mention. Let's talk about that. <laughs> <laughs> but, like, yeah, there's actually stuff My in goodness. Tron Legacy that, like, Top Gun Maverick and the climax, they both have, like, similar moments when they're flying the planes. But anyway... Wow, Top Gun Maverick. Okay. Well, maybe I will, <laughs> maybe I will have to check out Tron. But my goodness, Top Gun Maverick. So I watched Top Gun for the first time a week before Top Gun Maverick came out. Actually, aged pretty well. I thought it was a decent movie. But what they did with Top Gun Maverick, my goodness, insanity! Oh Insa- yeah, the, this this one almost cracked into my top five. Like just <laughs> so so damn close. It was so so good. So yeah. definitely not. Especially like the, like back talking about Back to the Future and Top Gun Maverick, the third act tension, that's the way they keep yeah. escalating and building it. How are they possibly getting out of the situation where they think they're totally screwed, that all is lost moment and all or nothing? Or Absolutely. you think you think it's over? Like when, yeah. when 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 Tom Cruise when when Maverick sacrifices himself, you're like, oh, it's over. And then Rooster's like, fuck no, I'm going back for him. And you're like, why did you do that? And then but it also, before you know it, but then it pays off. Oh yeah, it's like the movie wouldn't be as good if Rooster didn't go back. No, it, it wouldn't, wouldn't have. It, it was. I actually was sad when he did that because I was like, oh, I did not want to see him just sacrifice himself like that. That doesn't feel no. like a good payoff. And then they just. Like you said, they just amped it up another level and kept amping it up. And like rewatching the movie too, that's like even the setup, like knowing that like the original, I forget the name of the model of the plane is, but like the original planes that he flew in the original 80s Top Gun was the one that was on the bait. And they even mentioned it like in like the report, like, oh, even the whatever country they're invading. Was it an F-40? Don't come at me. I think it's 14. I think it's F-14. I thought it was an F-15. Okay. Anyways, the original, the original one from the movie is what they had to leave. And yeah, I agree. That was like such a cool And of course he's the only one. I could fly it. Yeah. And then obviously on top of that, you get the line is like when he loses all hope, when Maverick loses all hope, you get Rooster coming up behind him. It's like, it's not the plane. It's the pilot. And you're like, damn. Yeah. Oh, so good. Ooh, goosebumps. Okay. Um, I got to run into some honorable mentions here. I'm going to rip through them. Cause like I said, there's a lot. So number one, Goodwill hunting. Uh, don't have a lot of old movies that in my repertoire that I've seen, but I'm starting to watch some of them. And this one really, really, uh, really, really pays off. It's definitely a good watch. Really, really well done by Matt Damon and Ben Affleck in their young years. But love the story and everything. Another Nolan, big surprise, The Prestige. You want to talk about one where you do not have any idea what's going to happen until the very end? My goodness, the the 
the ending is bonkers. I don't even want to spoil it if you haven't seen it because it's one of those that's like maybe not as commonly viewed and not a lot of people know it's Nolan, but definitely watch that one. That one is bonkers. It's like magician story uh, from like, is it the 1800s or the 19? No, it's the early 1900s because we had Nikola Tesla is involved in it and everything. So. Sounds about right. Yeah. Okay. Uh, another one, Imitation Game. This falls along the lines of the big short in the way that they educate you on real life events. I thought that was really, really cool. Um, didn't know anything about uh, how the Brits actually found out the, the, the secrets and decoded uh, the Nazi code that they were using at that time. And then obviously realizing that Enigma is the birth of the computer. Like, that was insane to look back on and realize, wow, that was actually more or less the birth of the computer at that time. And honestly, one of the wildest payoffs of that movie, though, is realizing that when they have all the information, they can't act on it. And the moral dilemma that that brings in, because they have to now calculate what is the maximum amount of intervention that we can have without them realizing that we know what they're doing. So it's you have the ability to save everyone, but if you do too much, you're not going to be able to save anyone. And it's just, yeah, the mind fuck of the moral dilemma there is bonkers. Um, another one that I thought was really cool, and I don't normally do movies like this because it's just one character the whole time, The Martian. Oh, okay. The Martian with Matt Damon, I thought was really well done. Well, he talks to like people back and forth. On yeah. The so yeah. there's more than one. Yeah. There's no, definitely more than one. No, I, thought that, I thought that was a cool one as well. Uh, more recently, Ford versus Ferrari. Oh, that's so good. Unreal. Almost again, almost cracked the top five. I love, love racing movies like the adrenaline that pops up, but the way that they did that one, and again, back to real life events that are turned into movies, that's one for sure. Directed by James Mangold too, who's directing Indian Jones Five. Ooh. Have you seen Indian Jones? Yes. Okay, good. Yeah. yeah. I haven't no, seen no. I haven't seen all of them, but I've seen like I've seen the I've seen the three old ones and I've seen because we had them on VHS at the at a, uh, my cabin growing up. And you could, when it was VHS, you could only watch, like I was watching like season three of friends, daredevil on VHS, the Indiana Jones and season one of friends. So <laughs> I, those, those are, those are movies that I know very well. Um, another one, the blind side, I thought it was a really well done heartfelt movie Un- unbelievable performance by Sandra Bullock. Again, sensing a theme based on real life events. Mm-hmm. thought it was really cool. And just, just down to the moments that really are tear jerkers, like, I, I thought it was just really well done. Uh, another Nolan, The Dark Knight. That was a good one. Watching that in theaters, knowing that Heath Ledger is dead, and watching that performance was unbelievable. Unbelievable. And anything short of winning an Oscar would have been a complete colossal disappointment because that was one of the greatest, if not the greatest, villain portrayals I've ever witnessed in my life. Um, the Wolf of Wall Street. A lot of Leonardo DiCaprio. Yeah. <laughs> and Matt Damon. Christian Bale's so. in a lot of them too. You can sense it. You can sense a theme. Wolf of Wall Street, another one. Really, really well done. Funny. Somewhat based on real life events, a lot of the stuff, but just really captivating the whole way. And then Shawshank Redemption. Almost cracked the top five. I actually removed... At the last minute, I removed Shawshank Redemption for Shutter Island mm. and stuff that in there. Um, An older on movie on your list. Yes, yeah. <laughs> Shawshank Redemption, really, really well done. Another one. It kind of gives that, it's not quite a psychological thriller, but it, it keeps you captivated and you don't know what's going to happen until the very end. Another one. But again, the breadcrumbs are paid off in the end, which I thought as well. 
But those are my honorable mentions. There's probably a bunch more, but I, I wanted to stop writing them down because I just knew that the list was getting too big. Okay. So I guess that pretty much concludes our first ever episode of Back to the Scene. Thank you guys so much for listening. And uh, this was really fun. It was. Looking forward to doing more of these. Yeah. Let's do like 80 more and then we'll start launching them, huh? I like it. <laughs> Thanks for watching, guys. Have a great day, weekend, whatever it is for you. Walking the dog, anything. Enjoy. And that is a wrap on this episode of Back to the Scene. Thanks for listening. It would mean the world to us if you left us a review on Spotify, Apple, or wherever else you're listening. And if you guys want to reach out for anything, whether it's questions or ideas for the show, please make sure to hit us up. We'll have the email and all our socials in the description of this podcast.